Welcome to Crypto for Planners with Adam and Steve. This week, we're going to take a break from the regulatory onslaught we've been facing, the SEC, the Treasury Department, and everybody attacking us. And we're going to talk about the second hottest topic in crypto, which is real world assets. Adam, why have real world assets in crypto hit the news suddenly? Uh, there has been quite a bit of talk of uh, real world assets recently. Uh, I've seen Masari reports. I've seen all sorts of reports about it. But it seemed to stem uh, from a couple of weeks ago. There was a report by Citigroup or Citibank or whatever they call themselves now. Uh, the the I guess it's it's the company that named the Met Stadium. I think is what they call themselves. And they, they there was this report that said they feel like there will be anywhere you know four trillion dollars or so of tokenized assets or real world assets on chain or tokenized securities or securitized at tokens or whatever you want to call them. They all have mm -hmm. different names, um, roughly $4 trillion by the year 2030. And then if you kind of look back, you go, oh, I've heard of that before, right? Well, Larry Fink and BlackRock were talking about it last year. He was talking about how great he thinks the idea of tokenization is mainly for efficiency, right? And if there's anyone who, who would know about the need for efficiency in that market, it'd be BlackRock. And then we look back a little further and Boston Consulting Group had a report in, uh, I believe it was October of last year, August or October or something that showed $16 trillion worth of tokenized assets by the year 2030. So that's why it's been kind of a hot topic recently because now it's, you know, it's kind of been more in the news and, and I like talking about it because it means adoption of the crypto rails, adoption of, of blockchain technology, and not just talking about the price of volatile assets uh, or talking about the regulatory onslaught that, that we've been discussing. So I think that's why it's been a little bit popular lately. Yeah. And why we like it as advisors is, of course, because we live in the real world, specifically when it comes to crypto. We can't live in this degen fantasy land where we're just waiting for tokens to pump and we're trying to get 80% yields and, um, you know, it's fun to follow that stuff, but at the end of the day, we're in this because we're looking for opportunities and the way to do the right things for our clients. And so that involves inevitably where it merges with traditional finance and regulations and, and real world assets. So I think what we wanted to go through real quick on this report um, from City, Citigroup, Citibank, whatever it might be, um, is they, they highlighted five key areas and we just want to run through them and how they might relate to advisors. So they give a total addressable market and then their estimate for what the tokenized portion could be again by 2030. And if we know anything about economists and banks and, uh, you know, we know that predictions are extremely accurate and can be relied on uh, without question. So the first okay. one is um, non-financial corporate and quasi-sovereign debt, so basically just debt, the debt market, the bond market, um, $187 trillion is the total addressable market. They estimate that $1.9 trillion of that could be tokenized in the next decade. So at first, we need to talk about what this is. And, and let, let me take one step back behind that, Steve, and say, when we talk about tokenized assets, we are talking about or, or real world assets or whatever it might be. We're talking mainly about either real assets, things that you own, like like real estate or private companies, or it could be debt instruments or something. And when we say real world, we mean they are not not inherently generated on chain. It's not a, a crypto asset like Bitcoin or ETH. It is something that happens with some sort of transaction, money transaction. And then the, the tokenization of it says we're going to utilize cryptography. We're going to utilize blockchain technology and and make the, the um, I guess, the denotion of that asset 
put it on chain or onto a, a blockchain such that you and I might be able to put rules around it, but might be able to more accurately or, or more easily trade it, more easily utilize it for collateral. And again, not in a way where, where we're necessarily, uh, where there's a great deal of uh, a great deal of volatility behind it, like you would normal normal crypto assets. But it's just look if I can exchange my you know my interest in a real estate investment I made with you, and there are all sort of, sort of rules around it that says here's how much I can and here's when I can. But if if there are all sorts of rules around it and I can exchange it with you, that's a more efficient system than the current system we have that says if I've invested in private real estate, I got to hold it until the managers of that deal decide they're going to sell it. Whereas I would rather have liquidity, and that's you know just one example. But you can extrapolate that and go, okay, what other uh, financial instruments, financial uh, transactions are happening currently in the real world that we want to bring on chain so that we can keep track of them? And, and that's really what blockchain becomes: is this great system of keeping track of all these things. And once you can keep track of them and, and program them, then you can more easily move them around. That's a great point. And I'm sure they buried their definition somewhere here in this 162 pages that uh, that we didn't go through. Maybe you did. I certainly didn't. But uh, it, we're looking for things that can actually be traded on chain and transacted on chain. So what we're seeing currently is a little bit of a trend to make a digital representation of assets, but that's not the same. So it's saying, hey, you invested in this private fund. Here's your NFT that represents your ownership. But that ownership, but the NFT doesn't have a legal claim. You You could Either you can't trade it because it's permissioned or you can send it off to somebody else and it doesn't matter. You still own the underlying asset. So I think what we're talking about here, at least what we want to talk about, is where the actual assets are on chain and can be traded freely or or mostly freely. Right. And, and that's that's really what we what we want to get to. And that's kind of what you know Larry Fink talks about from BlackRock is saying this is where the efficiency can be. When we can trade these assets on this chain that that runs 24-7, 365, that has instant settlement, incredible amounts of transparency, all of those things, we end up with a more efficient system than we have right now. So going back to uh, where I started moving us backwards, actually, <laughs> this, this $187 trillion worth of non-financial corporate and quasi-sovereign debt, which city says we can do you know, $1.9 trillion, so basically 1% of that, uh, if my math is correct, 1% will be tokenized. I, I think we decided the non-financial corporate and quasi-sovereign debt is things like private debt, private credit, right? I, you know, the, the, the idea that I can lend money to, you know, I can be part of a group that lends money to some small business, right? Yeah. Essentially the things that banks do right now, yeah. but there are ways to, to make it to where more investors will have access to those things. Yeah. And we saw a little bit of this and I guess it was more sovereign debt than quasi sovereign. We'd have to jump into their definitions here, but how long ago was that? That the, Was it the European Central Bank actually issued a, a maybe $100 million worth of bonds um, on chain or right, something that, like that? that? That was last year or so. They did it on, on I believe, on Ethereum. Um, and it was just kind of a test case. But yeah, that that, that would probably be more closer to sovereign debt. Yeah. Um, but this, to me, would be kind of private debt, private debt markets. And those things are actually happening elsewhere in the world. They're not so much happening in the U.S., but there are other parts of the world where we're seeing this private uh, private debt. I mean, we, we've talked to groups like Goldfinch that's doing things like this. Yeah. Maple Finance is doing things like this, where they're taking uh, basically taking the actions that that have been the purview of banks or business development corps or, or, or something for so long and going, we can do that. We can just pool 
assets and then go lend them out because the underwriter knows what they're doing or something. Yep. Uh, the second category they have is real estate funds. And everybody loves talking about real estate. Um, I don't think there's uh, one crypto person in their 20s that isn't trying to figure out how to tokenize real estate, right? It combines uh, <laughs> two of young people's favorite ha- favorite pastimes. How do I how do I get make money in real estate? And then how do I do crypto? So I totally understand. I, I went through that myself. Uh, now I just waste my time on crypto and not real estate. Um, so, uh, but th- basically 20 trillion is the total addressable market. Um, they think 1.5 trillion of that could be tokenized and real estate has a lot of facets to it, but I think we have to go back to the framework we just talked about, which is not an NFT saying you own something, you know, it's not a coupon. It's not an IOU, right? It's the actual asset itself. How are we going to see this happen? Uh, Well, I think it's going to start with that. It's going to start with like, you have something that looks like an NFT that kind of represents your ownership. And when I trade you the NFT, then the legal process goes with it until eventually it's all wrapped up as one. And remember, all this has to go back to the government um, recognizing the fact that when I trade you my ownership on chain, that's a legal transaction, right? And what we have seen actually is some of these uh, kind of uh, crypto companies, um, you know, blockchain related uh, real world asset companies or blockchain tokenization companies have actually gotten approved as alternative trading systems meaning the government has recognized that when I trade my tokenized asset to you, that's a legal, that's a legal exchange, right? So that, that's part of it, right? The government has to accept this for it to actually, for, for a, an actual transaction to happen on chain. That's not a cute, like I traded you an NFT and then you can go trade in that coupon to someone to get your pair of shoes or something. Yeah. This is, a, you know, I'm actually trading you, you know, real estate and real estate was kind of the, the darling of tokenization a few years ago. Until there was a realization of the, the fact that real estate investors and crypto investors are very different people. Real estate investors wanted, you know, at the time, like eight, nine percent on their money. They were okay with not having liquidity. And when the crypto people came riding in and were like, you can get more liquidity, the real estate people were like, we don't care. Like, we don't trust this crypto thing. And the crypto people who, who wanted to invest were going, we don't like eight or nine percent. Like, we, why do we need eight or nine percent? We can go get 48 percent you know, with my eyes closed, right? Well, yep. now we're seeing all that come together, right? The, 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 the real estate people need higher returns because we have higher interest rates. The crypto people don't need 48% returns because they realize when they do that, they lose their money. So yep. th- those are kind of uh, coming together. And I'd maybe add the two paths here. One, um, j- similar to how we have it currently in the advisory industry, which is accessing real estate through a fund structure, um, whether that be an ETF or a REIT or a fund of funds, that's going to follow more the fund rules than they are the real estate rules, but, but it could give us tokenized access earlier, or there's the kind of direct participation real estate where you actually own X percentage based on uh, the token you own or the NFT you own. And in that scenario, there still has to be the real world enforcement mechanism when something goes wrong. So I think that's, those are kind of the paths I'm keeping my eye on. A uh, third thing to keep moving here, uh, private equity and venture capital. $7 trillion total addressable market. Um, they think 0.7 trillion. So I think we have another uh, uh, 1% here. Another um, 1%. Could, could, be, could be tokenized about that. Um, and private equity and venture capital is an interesting space for advisors as it is. It, it definitely is. And, and I think, look, I see 
that 1% being hot. Like if I were going to pick one of these that was going to have a higher number, it would be that 1%. And part of that is because the venture capitalists especially should be on this cutting edge anyway. Like mm-hmm. theoretically, some of them should be investing in the tokenized asset space, the infrastructure space. And so they're going to want to try this anyway, right? And, and you can imagine if like an Andreessen Horowitz decides, okay, three of the companies we invested in do this, we're going to try tokenizing some of our funds, then everyone else is, is likely going to follow suit. Uh, so again, it's an interesting space is probably one that, um, I'm guessing clients will want, would want to be invested in because they've seen what the returns are. Like, how can I get some of those returns and advisors get questions about that a lot. And right now it's not an easy thing to do. You obviously have to be, you know, either credited or qualified an investor or something. But I think the idea of tokenizing those, uh, will, will come along a lot faster. I think the problem with going with tokenizing those kinds of funds or, the, or those kinds of investments is the extreme transparency that's going to come with it, right? Mm-hmm. When we can look behind, you know, r- right now it's really hard to get behind the curtain. You give your money over to a venture capitalist or private equity firm and you kind of go, I, I'm, I'm leaving it up to you guys to figure out what you're doing. Uh, hopefully one of those that you invest in hits and I get a higher, you know, I get more money back than I put in. Like that, that's my goal, Right. And you guys come, you know, send me your monthly or quarterly report or whatever, and I'll read it and I won't have any idea what's going on. If I get up to the second transparency, that's going to be, you know, venture capitalists might go, I don't really like that quite as much. Private equity might go, I don't, I don't like that quite as much. I don't like my investors to know everything that's going on. Yeah. And and then we'll know, right? Then we'll know, you know, who doesn't mind a peek under the hood and, and who does. And you know, you're right. Traditionally, the, the you know private equity and venture capital has been for accredited investors, and I'm excited to see what happens here because with with the Jobs Act, it was supposed to open up to non-accredited investors with the regulation CF, the crowdfunding, and the A plus, and the details with that. Uh, and so it can be done, and it is being done on some crowdfunding platforms, but still not to the extent it, it really should be. So um, I think the combination of the Jobs Act and perhaps um, tokenizing some of this will hopefully open up venture capital to non-accredited investors in, a, in an efficient way. And, and real quick, Steve, you, you bring up a point. I know we need to, to move forward here, and it's probably one that we can talk about in another podcast. But you mentioned the, the Reg CF, which brings that idea of kind of venture-type venture mm-hmm. structure to anyone, anyone who wants to invest. The problem there is you're missing that advisor in the middle because what you had with, with any sort of um, crowdfunding was people who really didn't know enough to do all their due diligence going, I just want to be a part of this. I want to, you know, I want to invest in in some of these companies, but don't really know how to evaluate whether or not they're good investments, yes. nor do they know how to evaluate along the way. Did I make a good investment? You know, are we doing the right thing? Is this good management and all that? And so you have, hopefully with this tokenization, you have the potential for advisors to be in the middle and figure out where it fits in your portfolio and, and, how you can get some exposure to private equity and venture capital while still making it a part of your, your overall portfolio and allocation and keeping you keeping your money safe. Yeah. Good point. So speaking of its own podcast episode, uh, we have the fourth one here, which is securities financing and collateral, a $42 trillion addressable market and a 0.5, a half a trillion to a trillion dollar tokenized. And um, this can mean a lot of things, but I, I think the, the main way it relates to advisors is what happens right now at your custodian. So my firm custody is at Charles Schwab and how Schwab makes the, the last time I'd heard somebody look it up. I don't know what the new number is, but about 25 percent of their revenue came from securities lending, which basically they take the Apple stock in your client's account and they lend it out and make interest on it. 
Um, and so what we're talking about in crypto is being able to do that with your own assets. So as the your client makes that money instead of the custodian. And so being able to tokenize those things hopefully is on the way. Right. And that's uh, something that I'm going to guess the custodians are going to fight because that's a, as you mentioned, that's a huge part of their income. And, and it's honestly the way that they can offer um, they can offer free trading, right, is because they know that if you trade more and your clients have you know, more of that Apple stock and Google stock in there that they can lend out, they can make all this money just holding on to your assets, much the way a bank does with your, mm-hmm. with your dollars. Mm-hmm. Yep, absolutely. Uh, last one here is a little less relevant, but we'll still go over it because it ends up being getting a ton of attention in crypto, and that's trade finance, a $12 trillion total addressable market with $1 trillion potentially uh, tokenized. And that can be anything from currency hedging um, to really putting up collateral for trade financing. Um, not as relevant, but Adam, any thoughts on that? Uh, I, I'm I'm actually going to disagree with you a little bit. I think it's extremely relevant. And, th- and the reason why is because think about the, you know, where I see trade finance a lot is think about the, the goods that are being shipped all over the world, right? And, and there's so much financing that has to go in there, right? If I ship you something, it's not as simple as it leaves my dock and you receive it. And once you receive it, you pay me for it. It goes through several steps along the way. And technically ownership of those, of, of whatever I produce for you uh, changes along the way. And therefore different people get, get, get their funds that get paid at different times. So if I'm the shipping company, I might not get paid for 30, 60, 90 days, but I have to pay my bills. And so you end up with a lot of factoring going on. And factoring, I think, is like a $17 trillion a year market or something like that. Just trade factoring. And it's an incredibly inefficient market. It's incredibly opaque and it's not very easy to do to the point that a lot of companies that would need some, you know, trucking companies, shipping companies like that, don't have the means to do it, don't have someone in-house that can help them with it or don't have a relationship where they can get that. And so I think when we start to go down the road, I mean, you and I talk to Superfluid a lot. When you have tokenized, when you have income streams, you can tokenize Mm -hmm. then and then get some sort of loan against that, even if it's for a a really small percentage, you know, uh, interest rate for that really short amount of time, that's the difference between some companies making it and some companies not. And yep. right now, the, the banks or the companies that do that can charge a pretty good spread and can charge a pretty good interest rate because it's it's so inefficient, so hard to get to. So I think trade finance is going to be really big because that's the, that's the kind of thing that's made for blockchain or the blockchain is made for, right? It, it is 100% taking out these inefficiencies that don't need to be there except for the fact that the world banking system, the way money moves, is inefficient in itself. You make that more efficient. You make instant settlement. You, you make this transparency. All of those things that we love about blockchain tech, and you you create this system that allows companies that are trading uh, um, goods and services, and and therefore you know trading money back and forth. You give them the ability to settle quicker. You give them the ability to get loans more easily. I think that's a, a big market. I think that's one that, that can really be upset here. Yeah, that, those are all good points. So I, I think as as my takeaway from all this. Um, it is kind of spurred something I was thinking about anyway, which isn't so much one of these specific markets, but is what is actual tokenization? What is real tokenization as opposed to, you know, fake tokenization, token tokenization, if you will, uh, but mostly what's used for marketing purposes. Because I've had some conversations recently where it's, um, hey, you know, you, you go through our portal, you get accredited, you get verified, uh, you invest in this fund, and then you and then you get an NFT. And it's like, well, I mean, that's cool. Like, I guess, like we do that for 
a conference or a meeting or something. Great. But it doesn't rep really represent anything. It's like if the NFT isn't your ticket, right, then it's just kind of a, a marketing deal, which is still OK. Um, but I, I've really been thinking a lot about, you know, how to differentiate between, you know, marketing, uh, uh, securitization, you know, tokenization and then actual tokenization. How about you? Yeah, I think you're right. And the idea of like an NFT representing something doesn't really matter if there isn't the legal backing that says, if I trade it to you, that you now own it. Yeah. Right. That, that's the difference here is what's the legal ramifications of an exchange of that tokenized asset. And if it is, I give you the asset, you know, the, the asset moves on chain from my wallet to your wallet. And that is, uh, according to the government, according to all legal aspects, an exchange of value, then that's really the idea of tokenization I think we're looking for and I think we want. And we, you know, Steve, you and I always have to bring it back to what does this mean for advisors, right? Yeah. And the way a few things I read into this, and, and you can tell me what you think. One is it means that if there's going to be four trillion or 16 trillion or whatever trillion dollars worth of assets on chain, that means that you as an advisor are likely going to have clients that have those assets, have the opportunity to participate in those assets, and they're not volatile. They're not you know, they, they have some degree of risk to them, but it's no more, it's no riskier than, than, than investing in a venture capital firm now, just because they've tokenized it. The, what's on you as the advisor is to understand how you're going to evaluate the risk because your clients might have more access to it now, how you're going to be able to understand that risk based on the transparency you have. You're going to get to see behind the curtain a lot more in some of these private offerings and private companies. How are you going to evaluate that for your clients? How is it going to fit in their portfolio? Are you going to understand what custody looks like, wallets and, and security like that? Are you going to help them figure out custody? Are they going to own it themselves? And then how are you going to help them report on it? All of those aspects to me is why this is important for advisors. It's not why it, it, it's not because now your clients can go invest in you know volatile real estate on chain or something. It's not mm -hmm. that. It's this is this is going to give rise to new assets that they're going to have access that the new investments they're going to be able to make that they don't have now new ways to secure it. And as the advisor, you better know how to do it. Yeah, exactly. At the end of the day, it's still all about wrapping this into the operations of our firms so we can bring better solutions to clients if they're there. Right. And there's no right. reason to think there won't be something even to the skeptics. Right. There won't be something worth checking out. Uh, you know, out on the blockchain to bring to their clients. So with that, I think we'll we'll wrap it up uh, next week. I'm sure we'll be back um, talking about a brand new attack by the government on crypto and advisors. But uh, you never know. Maybe, maybe it'll get a, get a little bit better. <laughs> yeah. All right, Steve. Well, thanks for doing this. Uh, you know, real world assets is a, is a big topic for me. I like chatting about it. So glad we could do this and, and talk about it, especially as it relates to uh, advisors. All right. Thanks for joining us. We'll catch everybody again next time.